I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Welcome to Scuderia F1, the podcast that's always up to speed with the latest Formula One news. Follow us on Twitter at Scuderia F1 Pod and subscribe to the show on iTunes and Stitcher. Now, here are your hosts, Mark Daly and Kevin Laramang. Hey everybody, what is up? Welcome to the podcast that is always up to speed with Formula One here on the Overtime Media Network. Mark Daly here, welcome you back to the show this week. It's Friday, it's weekend, and I hope wherever you are, it's a nice day. It's been gloomy and dark and raining and wet. It's February here on the west coast of Canada, so pretty much par for the course, although we had a little bit of snow earlier this week, which we can get here from time to time, so, you know, whatever. It is what it is. But you know what? I'm excited. I... I literally lost track of time. I was uh, looking around, uh, just making the notes for the show this week, and then I finally realized that the the car launches and winter testing is literally just a couple of days uh, away from now. And uh, we're going to talk about uh, Haas uh, launching some pictures of their car. Williams is going to do a digital-only release of their car, which is a little bit on Formula One, but whatever, we'll talk about that too. But I still have it in my mind. I think I must be living back at the beginning of January around New Year's because I still have it somewhere inside my my skull that 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 uh, the car launches and winter testing is still some far off day in the future. But it's not. So that's uh, actually pretty exciting. So with uh, winter testing scheduled to get going in just over a week's time, then there's actually... Not all that much time before the season actually starts. There'll be a little bit of a break uh, between the the uh, the end of testing and the start of the season, of course. But the good news is that the light at the end of the tunnel it may not be in full effect in this big, huge ball of glowing light at the end of the tunnel. But it's a, it's a speck. It's there. There there's some hope that we we definitely have the darkest, deepest part of the off season behind us. And it's been pretty busy, don't you think, in terms of uh, of off season? I mean, there's been some some pretty big news, obviously, with uh, Charles and uh, and Max Verstappen signing new contracts. All the, well, rumors, fake news, whatever you want to call it, about Lewis potentially going to Ferrari, which I still think, uh, I, I just can't see it happening, but <laughs> I don't think we need to go back into that one this week. But it's been a fairly eventful off-season. So to finally get back to looking at what's going to happen on the track in just over a week's time is actually really, really exciting. Then, of course, we do have the, the, the season coming up on the 12th of March. is going to be the very first practice session in Melbourne. So just over a month from now, 34 days, counting today and 15th of March, the Sunday, is when we all get going for, for serious for the, the 2020 World Championship. And, uh, well, I'm sure just like the rest of you, I can't wait 
But like I say, the, the, the longest part of the winter is behind us and we're about to get back to the serious stuff and the fun stuff and I just can't wait. Anyways, I'm, I'm going to start off the show this week and kind of pick up, uh, well, not necessarily where we left off, but definitely touch on something that we talked about last week because when I had sat down to record, I usually record on Thursday evenings here on the West Coast. So, you know, for those of you that might not be completely familiar with the geography of this part of the world, so we are... Well, a long ways behind Europe, and there's not really all that uh, much left until you hit the international dateline and then head over to the, the, the Far East and start all over again. I mean, it's 18 hours difference between here and Japan, for, exa- for example. So usually we kind of, uh, time makes it a little bit uh, different uh, or difficult uh, to, to record these things. So I sat down on Thursday, and when it gets released, it's Friday morning or Friday afternoon, depending where wherever you are in the world, but I just uh, been uh, looking at all the news or the the stories about uh, Lawrence Stroll and his consortium making a, well, reportedly a 200 million uh, pound a, a bid uh, to get a controlling stake or a, maybe not controlling uh, controlling stake, but st- definitely a stake in Aston Martin. So that actually did come to pass almost uh, 168 hours or one week ago. And uh, Racing Point which is, I always thought, a bit of a strange kind of name. I sort of jokingly refer to them off-air as what's the point because, well, like I say, it's, it's, it's a name that doesn't really mean anything. It's always been a, a bit of a bizarre one. But part of the deal is uh, now that uh, Stroll and his consortium have uh, ended up uh, with a 16.7% stake in the company, which they secured for the tidy sum of 182 million pounds sterling. And, uh, well, Aston Martin is going to be in Formula One for the start of uh, the 2021 World Championship, which is a part of the new investment deal between uh, the manufacturer and, uh, and Lawrence Stroll. And uh, that is... Um a bit of a mind blower. <laughs> we had a look at the the amount of money that's uh, being thrown out there, and it's fascinating too. I mean, uh, Lawrence obviously a very very successful businessman, uh, and uh, and rightfully so. I mean, uh, he's got uh, got a lot of money, but it's uh, interesting to see that uh, he's going uh, going even further than just uh, you know, buying a stake or, or buying con- uh, the control of uh, of Racing Point, but has actually gone even further to bring uh, Aston Martin into uh, into Formula One. I mean, they've been as a sponsor for Red Bull for the past couple of years, but that's going to come to a, an end for 2021 as well. But the documents uh, that uh, that uh, were uh, released uh, that uh, sort of detail what they're calling an enhanced F1 involvement for Aston Martin, uh, which is uh, being uh, viewed as uh, essential. But anyways, uh, the documents, um, the part of this, uh, this whole deal had to say, quote, Aston Martin Lagonda has entered into a legally binding term sheet under which the Racing Point F1 team will become the Aston Martin F1 works team with effect from the 2021 season. This agreement has a 10-year initial term and Aston Martin Lagonda will receive an economic interest in the team. End quote. So that's uh, really, really interesting. Uh, so it... Uh I really don't don't know what to make of this uh, quite uh, quite honestly because I think that's been uh, kind of kind of interesting. I mean, uh, there haven't really been uh, too many new teams coming into Formula One in in recent history. Um, obviously, we've seen um, the, a new well the return of uh, um, engine manufacturers such as Honda, for example. We saw Haas come back in what was that twenty sixteen was their first year. But the point is, we, we we've seen more teams leave Formula One than come into Formula One, and uh, uh, that's what uh, I find fascinating about this whole deal is that uh, Aston Martin, obviously a very well-known, very um, luxurious car make, uh, car manufacturer. So to see that like an initial term of 10-year involvement in Formula One 
I find that actually a little bit staggering. I mean, I find it hard to commit to, to anything in my own life and say, okay, I'm going to do this for, for 10 years. So that, that this is what, uh, what really absolutely uh, fascinates me. But like I was saying, the, the deal between uh, Red Bull and Aston Martin will, uh, or an F1 anyways, will uh, end uh, what with their, their Aston Martin's involvement as a works team in, in, in 2021. But uh, they do have a, a separate deal between the two companies in, involving the, the, the Valkyrie hypercar. And uh, that's going to continue until the cars start to get um, uh, delivered. But then what I find, uh, you know, another side story to all of this is you're going to have this uh, this really well-known mark come into uh, to, to racing, uh, into Formula One, I should say. And, uh, well, I, I don't think that they're going to be there just to be... For the sake of it, right? You'd have to think that uh, that uh, a manufacturer like uh, Aston Martin would want to come and do something and and have a positive presence and and uh, and try and accomplish something in Formula One. So they have two drivers, obviously Perez and and Lance Stroll, son of Lawrence. And I kind of really wonder, okay, well, what's the the driver lineup going to look like in, in the future? I mean, Perez is a decent driver. Uh, I guess uh, we, we never really know what uh, maybe his true potential is, but I guess the, the there's a reason why he's been at the racing point or force India for such a long time. Hasn't really necessarily moved up um, the, the ladder despite having uh, a lot of sponsorship money that, uh, that he brings to the table. And then also equally interesting is when does, uh, when does that line get drawn uh, between, uh, you know, having uh, Lance in the team and, you know, when, where, where is that cutoff of being good or not being good enough? And, uh, you know, when it, when it comes down to it at the end of the day, Lawrence Stroll is a businessman. And of course, he's used his his money and his influence to uh, open a lot of doors for, for Lance. And I'm sure a lot of us would do the same for our own children. And uh, you know, But the big difference, of course, is not many of us have billions of dollars to throw around, or at least millions to, uh, to, to help our children's uh, racing careers and get them into Formula One. But the point is, we have to see now, like uh, that, that, and that's going to be something uh, really to, to to look out for. Is uh, if if Lance doesn't uh, pro- continue to progress uh, in Formula One, w- will that uh, will that become a factor? Will that uh, w- will that line, like say, get drawn in the sand, and uh, perhaps uh, at some point uh, will he uh, be uh, moved on uh, from the team and? Uh, stay anyways we'll keep an, uh, an eye on that situation so just uh, sticking with that vj malia who was the uh, the former owner of uh, the force india team which is uh, now racing point after he was a uh, well i mean he's uh, had those uh, charges uh, um, about uh, corruption and all that uh, back in india and then uh, the the team was really in dire straits uh, and went into receivership and then Lawrence stroll came in with uh, his uh, consortium in the summer of 2018 and uh, has uh, you know, taken over. I mean, last year was a kind of a little bit uh, in-between kind of year, but what I thought was really interesting was back in 2018 was that uh, for, for the longest time, I, what I found, always found fairly impressive about Force India was, for me, I found that they were one of those teams, despite having very meager and, and well, meager in terms of Formula One uh, resources and, uh, and, and funds and all those sorts of things uh, that they can invest in to the team that I always felt that they they seemed to be fairly um 
they seemed to do things rather smartly. I think they had to show a lot of ingenuity. I always found that they tended to punch above their weight a little bit. I mean, obviously they weren't out there winning races or anything like that, but I always found that they did more than with what they had than you you might expect. And I thought they were they've always been a decent team. And they, they, you know, on, on occasion when conditions were right, they had some good good results here and there. Anyway, so that the first half of 2018 when they were really sort of struggling. I mean, uh, everything with Malia was kind of up in the air with his legal troubles and all these uh, sorts of things. And um, they, they were really struggling on the track too. But when uh, when Stroll came in with his group and they, they took over the team and injected some uh, money into them, you, you certainly noticed a difference at the end of 2018 uh, compared to the first half of the season before the summer break or in, uh, until that, uh, that deal was made. And I think it did help salvage something of that year for them. Last year was kind of a, an in-between year. That wasn't really too impressive now, uh, was it? But anyways, Malia, he, he did. Uh, he was very, uh, very uh, positive about it. He said, quote, I am delighted for Lawrence and I'm delighted for the team to ultimately become a works team was always a dream. Lawrence and I are friends. And in fact, I congratulated him this morning on the news. He's a very astute investor and his track record improves that. If you look at the share price of Aston Martin today, he's obviously made a sweetheart deal under his chairmanship with the new range of models that Aston is planning. There's only one way to go, and that's north. For Racing Point, it is absolutely fabulous and will become a works team with support from a great British mark like Aston with all its heritage. Aston has plenty of followers and they will become Racing Point followers as well, end quote. Anyways, uh, that's uh, actually kind of uh, interesting uh, because uh, there's a bit of a tie in there. Apparently back as um, as early as 2015, uh, Malia was trying to secure sponsorship from, from uh, Aston Martin, but uh, eventually they went to, to Red Bull Racing instead. So we'll keep an eye on that. So kind of an interesting follow-up uh, from last year. So I guess uh, one of the, you know, one of the big stories at the moment uh, that, uh, that I'm keeping uh, an eye on is um, obviously this year we're going to have a, a very, very packed uh, schedule um, in the World Championship with, what, uh, 22 races, I guess it is this year. But the big problem is now is uh, in April is the, the the Chinese Grand Prix in Shanghai. And of course, we have the the, the, the health crisis with this uh, coronavirus in Wuhan and um, the, the whole city's under uh, lockdown. And it's um, obviously spread uh, beyond the the, uh, the city limits of Wuhan and uh, to, to different parts of the world. I mean, here in Vancouver, in in, um, in southwestern BC, there have been several cases uh, confirmed from people that come from the region. So, it's uh, it's a big problem. Obviously, uh, there, there's health implications, and uh, everybody's working very hard to contain it and uh, and make sure it doesn't spread uh, any further. But I mean, thousands and thousands of people have uh, fallen ill. You know, several hundred hundred have already died, which is you know quite frightening. And um, so, I mean, this obviously has to take uh, precedence and uh, it has to be the priority. But the, the, the big question is now, uh, at least from Formula One, is what uh, what what do we do? Like, what or what do they do? Because the, uh, the the Chinese Grand Prix is now scheduled uh, for for April nineteenth. I mean, it always comes, or at least in recent years, it comes uh, earlier in the year. And uh, well, I mean, the thing is that one way or another, sports always t- tends to push ahead, right? I mean, we're we're used to things like rain delays with NASCAR or baseball. I mean, football. I mean, one of the things I love about uh, football at the end of the year or into the playoffs is uh, you know you get to some of these crazy places uh, or crazy games in places like uh, Green Bay at Lambeau Field or 
in in Denver, you know, I also I was I love the unpredictability of watching a, a football game that's played in uh, really crazy weather conditions like that. But I mean, when it comes to something else uh, as serious as a virus uh, and and the, the potential uh, that uh, the, the damage of something like the coronavirus could do, I mean, obviously that's uh, completely different. This isn't like a rain shower that's going to pass, and you know, once uh, conditions uh, brighten up and uh, it, it's safe to start playing again, and well, I mean, it's not a baseball game, right? I mean, this is something really serious when it comes to, to, to people's health is um, when are they going to have to make that call as to whether or not uh, this Grand Prix goes ahead? And then with the, uh, the the schedule as packed as it is this year, if it was canceled, I mean, how, how would they... How would they be able to reschedule that? That is, uh, you know, what I find uh, really, I, I think, is a sixty-four thousand dollar question. I mean, obviously, safety of uh, people uh, in in the racing community and, and well, everywhere, not just in the Formula One community, but uh, in the people's health and, and lives in general, just has to take uh, precedence, but uh, or take priority, I should say. And um, but uh, just making that uh, making that call because uh, the airlines have stopped uh, flying to China. Governments, uh, I mean, uh, Canada's uh, sent a couple of charter planes over to uh, to China to uh, repatriate uh, citizens, and I guess they're going to be in quarantine. Uh, the people that are from there, so um, you know, and also internally, I mean, they they put in uh, travel restrictions in t- inside of China. So I mean, I mean, the the, the 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 Grand Prix is still over two months away, and hopefully by by that time, this whole uh, um, coronavirus thing has has peaked and it's um, starting to peter out. But uh, I, I mean, I'm not a virolo- virologist, if that's even a thing or <laughs> whatever it is. Uh, I'm not very smart in these kind of areas. But anyways, uh, who, who's to, to know the, the the forecasting and the modeling or the predictions uh, that they're making uh, for this virus? Well, you know, when will it sort of run its course? And uh, if so, um, uh, how is that going to impact uh, something in that case, which is uh, actually kind of trivial, despite the amount of money that gets put into it, is that when it comes to uh, people's lives, Formula One isn't really all that important, is it, uh, when it comes to the the, the the bigger picture? So that is the big question right now is when it comes to that, when are they going to have to make that call? And if they decide that uh, the Chinese Grand Prix can't go ahead, Will they uh, reschedule it for the later in the year? Can they reschedule it later in the year? Or is it just going to be something that uh, has to get cut from the calendar and uh, we just go back to only 21 Grand Prix for the season? Anyways, one to, to watch and see what happens uh, as uh, the days and weeks uh, go by. But uh, certainly, hopefully the, the situation regarding the virus uh, is solved sooner rather than later. Anyways, uh, on that gloomy note, it's time for a very quick break here on the Overtime Media Network. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. 
I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. All right. Well, welcome back to the show. So, well, lots of things uh, to talk about. And it's actually uh, pretty cool. I mean, uh, I was uh, saying just off the top of the show that uh, we do have uh, quite quite a lot of news that's uh, going around. And, and one of the interesting things is that, uh, like I said, uh, <laughs> like I'd lost track of the, uh, the, 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 the calendar and the way that things have uh, been going uh, lately just in my own crazy life. But um, it is uh, kind of cool to see that uh, some of the cars, well, I mean, we've uh, seen uh, the some of the different teams firing up their cars over the past uh, several days, but uh, Haas has uh, released pictures of the uh, the VF20, and it's a actually it's a quite a, a nice uh, looking car. They they've gone away from that black and gold uh, livery that they they had last year, but I mean that was tied into that uh, bizarre sponsorship deal that they had with that uh, energy drinks company, Rich Energy or whatever it was. I mean, look, you know, don't get me wrong. I thought the, uh, the the paint scheme that they had on the car was it was stunning. I loved it. I thought it looked great. I mean, it, it looks like those old, uh, John player special, uh, black and gold Lotus cars from the, uh, the, the 1970s, I guess the, the, the early 1980s. I mean, probably before, well, it's before my time. I mean, I was very, very little at the time, but certainly before the time I remember really watching formula one, but, uh, this year, uh, they're going with a, a black and white, uh, paint scheme and uh, it looks really good. And, uh, on the, the radiators has in a uh, nice bright red, uh, letters or sort of maybe a day glow orange a little bit uh, kind of hard to to tell from the picture but uh very very sharp so it, it really i think is uh uh, really whets the appetite, <laughs> you know, when you see the the, the first pictures uh, coming out, and uh, Roman Grosjean and uh, Magnussen, Kevin Magnussen, are going to be the, the the two drivers again uh, this year. I can see Magnussen, but uh, Grosjean, you know, at least in my opinion, I think he's had uh, enough kicks at the can uh, already, and I'm kind of surprised that uh, that he's going to be back. But I suppose I'm not the only one on that front. But hey, not here to throw shade at uh, Roman Grosjean. Anyways, um, they're really hoping that they're going to be able to uh, bounce back and have a good year. Or that is exactly the words that they use was bounce back because 2019 was a, a very, very uh, d- disappointing season for them. And honestly, um, as a, as a Formula One fan in North America, I think it's vitally important to have uh, an American team in Formula One. And moreover, I think that that team has to be competitive. So it's been, I think, to be expected that they wouldn't come in and obviously be a top team right away. But I think that we've seen them struggle a little bit. And last year was, um, yeah, it it wasn't very good. I mean, they they did introduce uh, an upgrade at the Spanish Grand Prix, and it didn't really deliver the big performance upgrade uh, and the big step forward that they were really uh, hoping hoping for and and plus i mean that it was a tough year for them i mean that uh, that that uh, spanish grand prix i think was probably more remembered for uh roman groja and uh, the troubles that he had with uh, his teammate uh, kevin magnuson anyways uh Grosjean said uh, earlier the, the this week that the team was really going to put all their efforts into uh getting this car right um, for for this uh, season and really understand uh the what the car is and what it's all about um, as soon as they could in in 
the season. So anyways, uh, Grosjean had to say, quote, we are not making a presentation. We're just launching. We're going to concentrate on the essentials and really get the best of the car as quickly as possible. We're waiting to see how the car is on the track. We have all the numbers from the wind tunnel. I think we've learned a lot from last year. Now, again, the only answer we're really going to get is when we run the car and see how it performs on the track. So, yeah, you can imagine that you've got all this wind tunnel data. You've got all this uh, data that you have uh, from the, you know, the computer modeling and all that. But the uh, the, the proof is in the pudding. Like, uh, it really depends, you know, did the theory work out into to reality? And uh, when this car actually gets out of the garage onto a racetrack, is it going to handle? Is it going to perform the way that they expect? Or uh, is it not? But sticking with that line of thought, Gene Haas, the team owner of Haas F1, said earlier this week that he hopes that the VF20 is going to help the team bounce back to form after what he called a real education process throughout uh, 2019. And, uh, well, yeah, it was uh, difficult, uh, was it? I mean, they they struggled with uh, the car basically from uh, Spain onwards. Anyways, uh, Haas had to say, quote, I'm pleased to see the car return with the more familiar Haas automation colors, so the black, white, uh, and the red. It's certainly a livery that people identify with. Frankly, I'm hoping the VF20 will returns the kind of form we ran in 2018 when we finished fifth in the Constructors' Championship. 2019 was a tough season to endure. We've been through a real education process, one that comes to all Formula One teams at some stage. I'm trusting we've learned enough from those lessons and have applied that knowledge into making the VF20 a more competitive entry. It's important to me that we're back in the mix and consistently scoring points. We certainly have the capability and we've proved as an organization we can do it, end quote. So yeah, it... uh it was a long way for them to kind of fall last year, not competitive at all, after having a decent season out in 2018. So if you're hoping that maybe this is the year that Mercedes is not going to to pull things off and dominate Formula One again, maybe you'll be a little bit... Um, encouraged, I guess is the right uh, word to use at this news. And that is that uh, they have been fighting what they call a few little issues with their 2020 power unit uh, for the for the uh, W11. Anyways, um, Andy Cowell, the, the Mercedes engine boss, had to say, quote, lots going on at Bricksworth, lots of improvement across the whole power unit. On the ERS side, on the internal combustion engine side, as ever fighting with a few little issues as we pull everything together. So lots of work going into building the right spec, getting it long runs, then providing the power units to the team so they can fire up their cars. I think you've spotted ones that's fired up already. I think he's uh, referring to, uh, to Williams. Anyways, uh, going on, Cowell has to say, and then getting the hardware ready to get uh, track testing. Car launch on February 14th with a red rose, and then off to Barcelona with three cars, hopefully pounding around the track. Just six days of track testing before we're off to Melbourne, end quote. Well, you know, I think that may be a little bit of a red herring. And uh, as I've said repeatedly, not just uh, in recent weeks, but over the years that until proven otherwise, I'm just not going to expect to see Mercedes not get it done. I mean, whenever these guys have had issues in the past uh, with the car, they just uh, they have this army of extremely talented people in that team in all in all areas. And uh, w- when they have something to address and, and deal with it, they seem to get it sorted out. So I- until I'm, I'm proven wrong in that, I just find to uh, find it hard to, to, to bet against them that they, they won't find a solution. And uh, as uh, as Cowell was saying just there, 
that they are only fighting with a few little issues. So to me, that just seems like the last few little tweaks and little bugs that they, they just need to iron out. And uh, really, I mean, uh, how many times have we seen uh, Mercedes engines uh, fail over the past uh, several years or not just not uh, deliver the goods? I mean, that uh, combination of a Mercedes engine and a Mercedes car has just been uh, unbelievable. And just the amount of uh, races that these guys have uh, won over uh, the the years in the the, the V6 turbo hybrid era is absolutely uh, mind-boggling. And uh, like I say, I mean, they literally do have an army of uh, talented uh, people there. Uh, both uh, on and off the track that uh, that they just you know they just can't lose can they anyways moving along and sticking with the theme of car launches and engine fire ups and things like that williams has announced a date for what they are having as a, a digital only launch for their uh, f1 car this uh, year which is going to be the fw43 and uh, that's going to be at 8 a.m. GMT on February 17th, which is uh, two days before uh, winter testing uh, kicks off in uh, Barcelona. And, well, that's kind of interesting, isn't it? They're, they're actually sharing the date uh, with uh, Racing Point, uh, they're, but they're having their, uh, I believe they're having their, uh, their launch event in Austria, if I remember uh, cor- correctly. But anyways, Williams' uh, car is uh, going to be uh, just uh, digital only. And, uh, well, what they did uh, last year is they, they unveiled some revised delivery as early as uh, the, the February 11th. But the car was delayed and, well, they it was just embarrassing because they ended up uh, missing the first uh, two full days of testing in, in Barcelona because they just weren't uh, ready to go. And, uh, well, I mean, that was, I mean, they it just never got it together last year. I mean, they showed up late for uh, winter testing and it was just an absolutely rotten uh, year for them. But, uh, you know, it, it is kind of interesting uh, for, from my point of view that, uh, that they didn't decide to do uh, a digital only launch. But again, maybe that's not, uh, not such a bad thing. I mean, uh, we, I guess we all tend to uh, associate kind of like glitz and glamour and fancy launches and things like that in, in Formula One. But I, I don't, as, as, as much as I thought at first that, oh, that's very on F1 and maybe that's uh, not the way to go for, for Williams. But I mean, whatever. I mean, I, I think when it comes down to it, I think that uh, the, the less that they do to maybe distract from the, the effort that they're putting into the car itself and focusing on, on just getting that right, I don't necessarily think that this is a, is a bad move. If they can put their, their effort and their attention into to getting the car right and getting it on the track and getting all those miles in during winter testing that they need to, then hopefully they can start to make some uh, some positive steps uh, forward. Because I mean, I, I, I again I'm repeating myself. Uh, it, it's been well repeating myself ad nauseum also uh, almost, but it really has been extremely painful to watch these guys slide down through the uh, through the order and uh, down all the way into the basement where. They're not only the the slowest team, but I mean they are slower or slowest by a, a good margin. I mean, it seems that uh, that the, the the Williams cars last year were being passed only a you know several laps into the race. I mean, I'm probably exaggerating here, but the 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 point is that they really they really really were bad. So I think that if they can uh, just focus that energy into the car and and get the car right and and just make any positive progress forward, I mean that's I think. Uh, for me, what uh, what makes McLaren such? Well, I mean, it, they're not back at the top, uh, winning races or challenging for podiums. But last year was the the, the very first, I, I'd say, 
really positive season that they they had. I mean, they're little incremental moves, steps forward uh, after the the dark days after they uh, had the Honda engines uh, in the car several uh, several years ago. And uh, last year was really, really a, a positive year for them. And I'm sure that Williams would love to be in that uh, that same position that uh, the McLaren was last year. But I think at this point that as long as you can turn the tide and get something positive going and uh, and just get away from the back of the pack there, and e- even if you're fighting other back markers, that, that would be uh, positive progress. I mean, we are two and a half seconds off the pace or whatever it was. I mean, that is, that is such a huge mar- margin in formula one. And honestly, I'm kind of surprised at times that, uh, you know, that, uh, <laughs> that they even, well, I guess they have, they're obligated to show up, but it's certainly the, the, the morale inside of that team must've been something, uh, it must've been a, a pretty tough place to be last year. Anyways, uh, time for another break here on the Overtime Media Network. Don't go away. We'll be right back in just one moment. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles. We win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right. Well, well welcome back to the show. Just going to stick with uh, Williams here for uh, just a couple of minutes uh, more. And uh, not only uh, did they uh, announce the digital-only launch of their car earlier this week, but they also released uh, some uh, imagery and some footage of their first engine fire-up of the year. So that's uh, that's good to see. Uh, it, it's the first. Well, I think it's I think it's a big deal for them. I mean, uh, considering that uh, last year, like I was saying before the break, that they didn't show up to uh, winter testing on time, and uh, you know later in the year they uh, had to they they parted ways with Patty Lowe. I mean, I think we kind of expected uh, that he maybe not going to be the uh, a savior of the team, but I didn't expect them to go backwards under his uh, his guidance. Uh, I th- thought that uh, that that was a good move when he went from uh, Mercedes to, to Williams. I'm sure that uh, they felt that uh, he was the guy that uh, they needed to to lead the team and the design and everything like that. And I don't think that uh, they expected to go where they were at that time. You know, basically the best of the rest. Uh, tap, definitely a top half uh, team down to uh, the, the complete uh, bottom. But the, the thing is, uh, like I was saying too, that, uh, you know, if, if they're going to have this digital only launch launch, you know, get away from that, uh, all the efforts and, and everything that goes into planning the big events like a Formula One car launch and just concentrate on the car. I think that's great. And also I think it's, uh, it's good too, that, uh, that they have uh, released uh, footage uh, on Tuesday of this week of the, uh, the FW 43 being fired up in the factory for the very first time in front of uh, team members. And, uh, Sir Frank Williams was also there. And I think just from the, um, just from a, I, I think just the even the optics of it, the, after a disastrous and disorganized off season and, and winter testing last year, that uh, that they're one of the first teams that have released uh, footage of uh, the, the the car being fired up uh, like McLaren and uh, Mercedes did uh, did last week. I think has to be a, a bit of a, a feel good uh, moment for them. I mean, sure they might be a, a privateer, but I mean they still have a very healthy budget, and you would expect uh, with the with the resources, the knowledge that that team has, with uh, all the championship 
championships that they've won over the years that, uh, that, that they shouldn't be able to get this thing figured out in one way or another. And, uh, like I say, I just think it's a, uh, it's good for them to uh, actually, uh, get out to in front of and be one of the teams that, uh, that are actually, uh, you know, showing these things or getting the car going and, and, uh, you know, sooner rather than later. And, uh, well, let's, uh, let's hope they can turn it around. They, maybe they can be the McLaren of, uh, of 2020. We'll wait and see. Anyways, uh, talking now about Red Bull and, uh, they've uh, changed their philosophy and, uh, what they hope to, to avoid a slow start uh, to the season. And, uh, I think this is interesting because the, the, the margin in formula one, uh, if, if you get behind is just so big. And if you get to get it wrong, a couple of races or maybe even one race, uh, if you, if you really have a, you know, really have a bad outing is really what, what it takes to, to really open up a big gap between uh, those and, uh, yourself and those that uh, you're racing uh, against. But, uh, certainly you can't afford to do that over several uh, races. I mean, I was talking about it last week on the show, just about how Fernando Alonso was saying that, uh, Lewis Hamilton, uh, has starts slow to the season. And the only time that, uh, when I went back and looked at all the numbers since 2014, the only time he had an out now really, really slow start to the season was in 2016 when he got uh, so far behind uh, Nico Rosberg at one point, it was what, 43, 44 point gap after the first four or five races. And that was just a monumental uh, hole for Lewis to dig himself out of. And I mean, Lewis being Lewis Hamilton, of course, he had the car and he's got himself and all the talents and skills that he has. So, I mean, he was able to close that gap and uh, and still be in contention uh, for the for the world championship. I mean, it just made those margins uh, that much uh, smaller because uh, for me, when uh, the, the, his world championship uh, season was, it wasn't over, but it, it certainly was, it became all the more difficult after he had that uh, engine failure in, in Malaysia. And uh, that was just one of those moments there that uh, even though he was still able to uh, uh, get the points and close uh, the gap uh, between Rosberg because I mean he only lost the world championship in 2016 by a mere five points by the time it was over and done after the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix was just the, due to the fact of the combination of just uh, having such that that big gap open up as, uh, between himself and Nico so early in the season and then uh, have that engine failure in Malaysia. I mean, like, uh, how often do we see a Mercedes engine let go like that? I mean, not very often. I mean, uh, they they are about as uh, reliable as uh, as they come out there. So that was uh, that was something else. But the thing was, at that point, uh, the, the 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 margin, the 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 room that he had uh, to to be able to to lose points was virtually nil and uh, that's why when you go back and look at that season to a certain extent you can say yeah Malaysia is pretty much where the the dream pretty much ended uh, that year because after that uh, I mean Rosberg was just he, he was just going around uh, I wouldn't say on autopilot uh, for those last several races he just played a really conservative and just uh, got the points that he needed without uh, unnecessarily taking too many risks or pushing the car or himself uh, too hard and uh, well I mean I, I guess that that is kind of the luxury that he had based on the the, the amount of points that he built up uh, over the entire season but anyways Red Bull. Uh, the the point is, like I say, I mean, if uh, you let uh, that uh, that gap open too uh, too much too soon, then it's virtually impossible to to close it, especially at the uh, at, at the top of the order there. 
Anyways, uh, Red Bull said uh, that they're changing their philosophy on how they prepare for the Formula One season so that they can try and avoid the slow start uh, to the year that they've had that have uh, proved costly in the World Championship uh, in, 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 in previous years. Anyways, uh, team principal uh, Christian Orner had to say, quote, I think there have been factors in recent years like an engine transition or a front wing change last year. Uh, this year, we've changed our philosophy as well going into this year uh, being really earlier. With the stability of regulations, it is obvious the RB16 is very much an upgrade and an evolution of the RB15. It's focused on addressing some of its weak spots and building on its strengths. I think that with that continuity, the team is really eager to go toe-to-toe with particularly Mercedes and take that challenge to them because it is on those days that teamwork really counts, whether it is world record pit stops, whether it's getting the strategy right, or of course, reliability, end quote. Well, yeah, I mean, the, the Red Bull, I think that's uh, some of their their, their strengths that, that they've had over the past uh, couple of years is uh, even though that the car may not have been uh, quite on the same level as uh, Ferrari and definitely not always on the same level as uh, Mercedes, I mean, who really has, that uh, that they do other things good in other ways, that uh, that they've been able to make up for some of the deficiencies maybe that they've uh, had in uh, in their strategy. I mean, their pit stops are always uh, pretty solid, and uh, they always seem to be um, you know pretty bold to to try uh, different things. I mean, they are kind of the kings of the uh, of the double stack uh, pit stop, and uh, they they really look to to try and exploit any advantage uh, that they can. And I, I think that is something that we're really going to have to take a close look at is that uh, with the regulations uh, uh, frozen for this year, that, uh, th- that there is no big change coming in, right? So, I mean, uh, it is going to be basically an evolution on the cars uh, from last year. So it's, it's going to be uh, really kind of interesting to see how each of the teams, especially Ferrari, Mercedes and Red Bull, have taken their cars uh, from last year and and how many changes that, uh, that they've made. I mean, if this is basically a development on last year's cars. Okay, well, what do Mercedes need to uh, improve on? Well, not really a lot, do they? I mean, their cars are always pretty darn good. Uh, but the Red Bull certainly was a, a very good car uh, at, at different times in the years. Uh, but they, like Horner was saying, that they need to get the, the, the car going. They need to be uh, competitive uh, earlier in the year. So can they get it figured out uh, before we get racing in Melbourne next month? That's going to be something to watch. And of course, uh, Ferrari kind of finished the, the, the season on a... I guess a bit of a whimper, you could say. I mean, they they looked really good after the after the summer break. I mean, they looked pretty strong there. Of course, there was all these uh, accusations and uh, and speculation over the legality of their engine, which they insist was legal all year uh, long, despite some of the different uh, different things that were said by different uh, people, uh, specifically Max Verstappen, who called them outright uh, cheaters. Uh, you know, just to to, to paraphrase um, his comments. Uh, so yeah, it, it is really going to be. Uh, interesting to see that but I, I really wonder though if uh, if Red Bull are able to do uh, or, or get their uh, their their ducks all lined up and are able to um, really have a strong start, whether or not uh, they can take the fight to, to Mercedes right off uh, the the top of the season. I mean that that's really what wrapped up the the the, the World Championship both for the drivers and the constructors uh, last year was that uh, they were basically untouchable until uh, we got to Austria at the beginning of the summer. By that time, I mean they just uh, really amassed a lead that was 
too big to tackle. It didn't matter if it was in the drivers' championship or the or the constructors. At that point, I mean, the the, the lead was almost uh, unassailable. I mean, it was just a question of when, not not if, if they're going to win the the double world championship again. And that's uh, exactly what uh, what happened. And certainly, it would make things a lot more interesting if um, Ferrari and Red Bull are able to um, uh, be more competitive and take the fight to, to Mercedes earlier in the year. I mean, if and the, I, I think that's the the, the one complaint. That I've had about uh, Mercedes all this time is it's not that they win the world championship and the drivers championship every year. It's just that nobody has been able to really consistently get up there and, and fight them one on one for for an entire year. I mean, at, at the end of the day, I mean they have the the, the best car and the, they've had uh, some pretty damn good drivers driving them. Obviously, Lewis is one of the best, uh, best of all time, and obviously one of the best, the best driver of uh, of this uh, generation, but still the 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 challenges that have come from other teams specifically Ferrari have just been sporadic they've never been able to stretch it out over the entire season i mean 2018 they should have won that uh, that championship i really feel like they, they they could have done that it was just unfortunately they were not able to to keep it up uh, over the entire year and after after spa when the vettel won that race they looked really good and then you go to to monza and then that's uh, where he really started to go down and uh, really lost his mojo. And uh, he had that uh, collision with Lewis Hamilton and then really struggled after that. And then uh, that's where Mercedes really gained their momentum, built up a head of steam at the end of uh, that season. So anyways, that that is the key, just to, to make a long story short, is don't let uh, for, uh, Mercedes get off to that uh, that really quick start. Fight them one on one, and hey, if uh, they after a, a long, uh, hard, close fight, they still win. I have no problem with that. It's just like I say, <laughs> I just uh, I, I really wish we could have seen other teams uh, take the fight to them more often, more consistently, and really make them work for it. Anyways, time for one final break here on the podcast this week. Don't go away. We'll be right back. All right. Well, sticking with. Red Bull, just as we start to close the showdown for this week. Uh, Max Verstappen said that uh, the decision to renew with Red Bull for a new contract until 2023 was to avoid what he called awkwardness. Anyways, uh, Max had to say, quote, I think I feel, felt very comfortable in the team. and I never really wanted to rush anything because there was no need. I also think it went very quickly. Last year, I never really thought about it too much. I think it is a good thing because it takes away any doubt. There are no question marks anymore. I think when you go into a season when your contract is up at the end of the year, at one point it is going to maybe be a bit awkward towards the next car, you know, the year after. I didn't want to have any of that. And for me, this is the right place. I really feel good in the team. And there are a lot of good people in team. And I also see the motivation, the hunger to fight for victories and championship. So yeah, I mean the thing is, uh, Max. I mean this, this this is his team, and um, and uh, and and I think that's obviously one of the reasons why uh, Danny Ricardo decided to to leave and go to Renault. I mean the the writing was on the wall. They they may not have um, really come out and said publicly that Max was the number one guy, but I, I think that obviously when you're inside the team, you're inside the garage or you're in the factory, whatever, that that you can just tell when uh, where, where all the energy is going. And I mean that that's fair. I mean uh, Max is a very very good formula one driver i mean he he has all the uh the, the characteristics and it looks like this guy has everything that uh that, that he needs 
to become a world championship at one point uh, if given the right car. And uh, you can also understand too, I mean, none of us wanted those, uh, want any uh, uncertainty in life. And I mean, it's a little bit different in, in professional sports where you're kind of going from contract to contract. It's not like uh, most of us uh, get up and go to our jobs each and every day and know unless we screw things up royally or we get uh, a, a better offer from somewhere else that we can basically stay in a job for as long as we want until uh, hopefully we get to walk away on our on our own terms and uh, at our own choice. Anyways, um, you know, careers being shorter in in Formula One and, and sports in general, you can imagine that uh, knowing that you're going into a, a contract year, even if you don't have a deal done at the end of the year, you, I, I can see that uh, totally weighing on somebody's mind and whether or not uh, that actually comes in, into, into play at the, you know, during a race. I guess that uh, maybe has to do uh, or is up to a little bit uh, to each individual driver and each just how each of uh, those people, um, you know, are mentally, I guess, uh, how you um, deal with the different kinds of a stress. But I could see that uh, certainly from Max's point of view, knowing that he's going into the, the last year of a contract and just, uh, you know, getting it out of the way, just everything's set and you can just uh, concentrate uh, on getting out there and, and go racing and just know, okay, well, I, I, I can maybe put this on the on, on a back burner now for a couple of months and maybe we can revisit this in the summer or whatever it might be but it's still going to be a bit of a distraction at uh, at uh, one point or another anyways uh, Christian Horner had to say quote everybody knows what the future is there are no awkward conversations between the driver and the team he knows exactly what his role is we're uh, all in it very much together as one unit as one team end quote so yeah I think that was really the big question but I, I think it's sort of interesting as well and I wonder if Maybe there's just a, a little bit of uh, of uh, Christian Horner uh, showing his cards a little bit because uh, there was all this speculation before Christmas. Okay, well, what's going to happen for 2021? Charles doesn't have a contract. Neither does Vettel. Neither does Hamilton. Bottas. And uh, and Max Verstappen, who's going to go where? And uh, and Horner even said at that time, and um, perhaps uh, they were already having these uh, discussions with Max at the time, and uh, knew that 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 deal was going to go ahead or go through with the with the new deal to to keep Max there for for long uh, for, for for the long term. And he said that he felt uh, that the, uh, the the status quo with those top five guys would uh, pretty much uh, be exactly the same by the time it's all said and done. And so far, he's been uh, proven right, hasn't he? I mean, the the first one to go was Charles and Max. And then the, the, the big ones uh, are going to be uh, Hamilton, Vettel, and uh, and Bottas. And I think that they've all uh, basically uh, got their, uh, you know, got their wishes where they want to go. And I, I did think it was interesting a couple of weeks ago when we had the the, the roundtable that uh, Tim Haraney from uh, TSN, uh, you know, the, the sports network uh, here in Canada, said that uh, in all the conversations and uh, all the understanding that, uh, that he has is that uh, Ferrari is uh, very keen to keep uh, Sebastian Vettel in the team for 2021. So that uh, that'll be another one to, to watch and I, I think that Seb just needs to get his uh, confidence back uh, get his mojo back uh, I mean he's had a rough year and a half I mean ever since uh, the, the second half of the 2018 season but I, I don't think you become a bad driver overnight I just think that uh, last year's car I really don't think that uh, it really suited his style I mean uh, look at that uh, spin that he had at Monza that uh, that just 
you know, Carr just didn't do what he, he thought it was going to do. Same with that little uh, moment that he had in Montreal, which uh, ultimately cost him the race. And because he got that, uh, that, uh, the, the, the five second penalty time penalty added on at the end of the race, which uh, cost him the victory and handed it to, to Lewis Hamilton. Uh, you know, that, that just uh, looked like a guy that is trying to push the car to the limit and just didn't do what uh, he wanted it or needed to do. And you can throw Bahrain in there as well and any other uh, number of examples. But, you know, I, I mean, uh, Mattia Bonato team principal at Ferrari was saying last week that uh, despite all the the negative uh, incidents uh, aside, that uh, they're they're happy with the pairing of uh, Leclerc and, uh, and and Vettel. So uh, you know, just going back though to the uh, the, the driver market for for twenty twenty one, the the one guy that I think is kind of interesting is uh, out of those three that are left, out of Hamilton, Bottas, and and, and Vettel. Obviously, Vettel is uh, is an interesting one. Uh, whether or not he's going to stay with the Ferrari and uh, potentially Hamilton moving to Ferrari, but I think. For for me is uh, is, uh, is is Valtteri Bottas. Uh, are they going to be content with uh, with keeping him in the team? I mean, obviously he's uh, been able to win some races. Doesn't really challenge uh, Lewis too much in the uh, in, in the championship, and there's no ill feeling or any bad moments between him and Lewis like there was uh, with uh, with Nico Rosberg. But still, at at some point, you got to wonder: Are they going to be content with that in the long run? Or are they going to want to put somebody else in the car? Maybe like uh, one of their own uh, young drivers because i mean um at some point, you know, do they want just a guy that's going to go out there and just score points on a consistent basis? Or are they going to look at maybe some different talent, younger talent to put in the car? Because you just think that anybody that's a decent, consistent driver should be able to rack up points pretty consistently. And you know, just that that's my big question is whether or not they would want to stick with with Bottas to do that after 2020. Anyway, just one of the, a lot of different things and different scenarios that are kind of going through my head for, for next year and uh, and the drivers. Anyways, this is an interesting quote, and I've uh, purposely held this one uh, towards uh, the end. And you can always uh, trust Max to, to say something uh, interesting, have a good uh, sound uh, bite here or there. And he said that Hamilton is good, but not God. And, uh, well, I don't know, is he kind of talking a little bit of trash? Is he kind of, uh, you know, trying to poke the bear a little bit? I'd love to see these two go at it a little bit uh, more, you know, head-to-head on the track. Uh, anyways, uh, Verstappen uh, had this uh, to say during a Red Bull media event uh, in London this week, and uh, he was talking about uh, Lewis Hamilton as uh, being, uh, you know, one of his main rivals. Uh, Verstappen uh, said that things would be very different if uh, Red Bull can start putting pressure on uh, on Hamilton. And uh, he said, quote, it's very car dependent, of course, in F1. At least when you can put pressure on them, it is a lot harder for the guy. It never, if you never really have pressure, then you can always drive it with 97, 98% and you never make mistakes or just have one bad weekend of 21 or 22. So even if we start within two tenths, you know, you can really mount the pressure. And of course, I would like to start straight away because uh, then it's really on. Lewis is very good. He's definitely one of the best, but he's not God. Maybe God is with him, but he's not God. <laughs> so kind of a, a funny quote, but I, I think that he does make a, a good point there, and um, that's and 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 he, he he nails it because he said if you quote if you never really have pressure, you can always drive it with ninety seven ninety eight percent, and you never make mistakes, which. Lewis Hamilton never makes mistakes, does he? I mean, uh, uh, to see Lewis make a mistake is, it 
almost non-existent, right? And that that is the other thing is he just doesn't have the the the, the pressure. The only guy that was ever really able to pressure him on a bit of a a regular or semi-regular basis was uh, Nico Rosberg, and I think even he was uh, pushing it to the absolute uh, extreme because he really I think had to uh, make some desperate moves at different times uh, to try and stay ahead of Lewis. Look at Spa. Look at Spain. Look at Austria. Look at any one of those. Uh, those moments and well I mean Spain was a bit uh, ridiculous I mean he saw uh, Lewis coming up the inside of the track going to turn three close the door the two collide and slide off into to the gravel I mean the thing was that was a bit a uh, bit ridiculous because I mean Lewis would have gotten them sooner or later anyways I mean all he was uh, doing was just uh, I mean he just closed the door and slammed it, uh, slammed the door shut and just, uh, took off, uh, you know, we basically went over the front of, uh, Hamilton's car and they both crashed out as a result. I mean, the thing was, I mean, even if uh, he had uh, just, uh, say really cut him off badly, Lewis had to put the brakes on, he would have gotten him, uh, eventually that race. I mean, uh, it was, it was really desperation. I mean, the same with the collision that they had in Austria that, uh, that, that year, I believe it was as well, that it was just a uh, more desperation. The, the, uh, that incident itself spa so that but i mean apart from that i mean uh Bottas doesn't really push him and uh, within the team and then the, the the challenges that come from outside of the team say from red bull from verstappen or from the ferraris it's not always on a consistent basis i mean it, it has at different times but it's never really been uh, prolonged over a, an entire year so just like max says somebody's got to really get on it uh, from the uh, from the start of the year and really push uh, lewis hamilton uh, to the max uh, and and mercedes as well and and i think that would really make for an enjoyable world championship i'd love to see more parity between those top 3 teams and those top 6 drivers and uh, well maybe it's a little bit uh, wishful thinking but it really i think would make uh, formula one uh, a little bit more enjoyable to watch anyways we'll we'll wait and see what happens anyways danny ricardo says that the netflix documentary drive to survive puts the formula one on the map in the united states so that's kind of interesting uh for what he had to say uh anyhow ricardo had to say quote i definitely feel f1 is becoming much more of a thing here in the states drive to survive put it on the map i spent a bit of time in the states and up until a year ago not really anyone would say hi to me not in a bad way but they wouldn't recognize me for being an f1 driver and now it's all hey we saw you on netflix it was great drive to survive we wear helmets so it's not really many people can see our faces a lot of the time so putting a face to a name that helped and uh, yeah, that's why I think that it was a, a really a great move uh, for them to, to go out there and do it. I mean, like I say, I mean, one, one of my beefs with the, the season number one was the fact that uh, Ferrari and Mercedes didn't sign up and uh, anything that you saw from any of uh, any of those guys, be a Bottas, Hamilton, Raikkonen or, or Vettel, was all stock footage. So, I mean, they were probably little sound bites we'd all seen from different uh, news uh, or press conferences uh, throughout the entire year. Whereas it, it was pretty interesting to see some of the behind the scenes things with like Red Bull. There was that uh, that episode that they did on science, all the all these different uh, storylines. So, I mean, as as disappointing as maybe it was uh, that they weren't in it, I think that the, uh, the the creators of the series still did a very good job with the other eight teams, all the other drivers that were still uh, still in there, and were able to still craft the story in, in a bit of a non-linear way because it wasn't like, okay, we go from start from Australia, go all the way to Abu Dhabi. They kind of hopped around a little bit and uh, and it really worked. And uh, and certainly the uh, Ricardo uh, and the Red Bull situation, that's something 
that uh, that featured quite a bit, and I thought it was uh, really interesting. I, so a lot of the different storylines that we we picked up on throughout the years, be it either through the news or what happened on the track, and or you know just kind of put it all together through uh, that and social uh, social media, because I mean, it really is uh, a very varied, uh, you know, layered experience in Formula One. So, but uh, it, it was pretty cool. But you know, it, it is good too, and I, I think that's uh, one of the things that uh, it, it really doesn't get a lot of coverage, and I think that's why. Uh, the USA is really, I, I think, an untapped uh, market at this point uh, for them. I mean, which seems kind of insane because, I mean, uh, the USA is uh, obviously a country that, um, I, I mean, to me, like car culture in the United States, it really goes hand in hand, right? And uh, and I think that's one of the problems that uh, that Formula One has had, that uh, they've never really gone out there in the past and, uh, and really promoted themselves. And I mean, everybody watches Netflix or something similar in this day and age. And that's why I thought it, it worked uh, really well for them to get out there and, and do that. I mean, I'm sure a lot of people that aren't even Formula One fans uh, probably saw that and started watching it and maybe got to learn a little bit uh, or learn a little bit more about Formula One, even if they didn't watch the, the, the whole series. So yeah, I mean, I'd love to see more about it, uh, you know, or, or more people talking about it over here, and, uh, and and come up more in the in the consciousness because I think a lot of people in North America, for example, know who Lewis Hamilton is, but I think it's more that they know him because he's he's famous. He's just famous for being famous, and they they might know. Oh yeah, I think he's like a racing driver or something like that. So, anyways, kind of cool. And uh, yeah, season two is coming out in just a couple of weeks. So, really looking forward to that. Uh, especially like I say, with uh, with all uh, all the teams involved, all the drivers. Really looking forward to see what uh, what they got uh, coming for us down the down the pipe here. Anyways, just a, a couple more items here before we shut it down. Uh, one of them is uh, just looking towards uh, 2021 and the new 18-inch uh, tires that uh, Pirelli is bringing in. And uh, Mario Sola, who's the, 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 the boss over there, says that there's no going back to the existing 13-inch tires, even if the teams are unhappy with the with the 18-inch t- tires that they're going to be producing uh, for, for next year. So those 18-inch uh, 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 wheels, those are going to be uh, one of the big parts uh, of the, uh, the, the major rules change uh, for next year. And I mean, the, the car's really going to look a, a lot different. So really looking forward to seeing how that's uh, going to turn out. Uh, but anyways, Asola uh, had to say, uh, quote, uh, the first feedback from the 18-inch tires is quite good. So I'm not expecting to have any kind of surprise this year. Obviously, the car will be different in 2021. The car is designed on 18-inch tires. So in 21, we will have a new product. No chance to go back to the 13-inch tires. But I'm positive, especially in the first session when we were in Paul Ricard with Renault last September, we did 213 laps in two days. With the Mule car, the first time the team is running a new car, uh, the first time we are running an 18-inch uh, tire, new rims, new everything, you expect to have an issue and maybe usually have to stop for half a day or maybe more. Uh, but we had no issues at all. We did our uh, run plan in the two days. We ran more than 1,000 kilometers, so it was quite a productive two-days test. So again, uh, we'll wait and see what, uh, what what happens when it actually comes in in, uh, in 2021. But uh, it it really is going to be quite unprecedented, I think, uh, to see when all this uh, actually comes into reality uh, next year. And we'll we'll see whether or not all these uh, uh, changes and all these... uh, you know, ideas that they've had to make racing uh, competitive and uh, and get the cars uh, closer together if they can actually uh, pull it off and, uh, and make it a reality. So, hey, that doesn't mean we're going to enjoy the, the this season any less. It's just that uh, even though I'm looking forward to this year, I'm, I'm very, very curious and uh, quite uh, looking forward to 2021 as well. 
Not that I want to rush a year ahead unnecessarily quickly, but <laughs> I guess we just all have to wait and uh, be patient. Anyways, uh, finally now, uh, ex-caterham boss uh, Tony Fernandez has denied any wrongdoing in relation to a bribery scandal involving uh, aircraft uh, producer Airbus. So uh, AirAsia is a company that was co-founded and run by Fernandez and is uh, one of several airlines named in a case which was uh, brought against Airbus by the the UK's serious fraud office. Uh, Well, this is kind of an interesting one. Uh, A worldwide investigation was shared between uh, British, uh, US and French authorities and uh, with the serious fraud office taking uh, responsibility from Malaysia, Sri Lanka, Taiwan, Indonesia and Ghana. So, wow, I mean, they're really running the gamut there. Anyways, uh, it has resulted in Airbus uh, facing over three and a half billion euros, so a lot of money, in fines and penalties via settlement uh, agreements. And, uh, the, well, there's a, a sponsorship uh, deal between uh, Airbus uh, and uh, Caterham as, um, as alleged to have influenced AirAsia's decision to order the company's uh, airplanes because uh, they were a sponsor of uh, the Caterham team in Formula a couple of years ago. So I guess when did they when did they wrap up now? I mean, they, they basically went out uh, with a bit of whimper in Formula 1. Remember they, uh, they didn't show up for the couple of races there? What was the end of 2014 or 2015 there, thereabouts? I mean, it's, they've been gone for several years now. And they actually had, did that unprecedented thing where they actually had a uh, crowdfunding campaign going to raise enough uh, money to get the team to the last couple of races of the year, which they actually were successful in doing. I, I think I even put in like 15 or 20 bucks. I got like a, a, a lapel pin out of it or something like that uh, for the, for the uh, you know, the amount of money that I donated. I can't remember. I think it was like 25 bucks now that I think about it. Anyways, it says uh, refuel caterum or something like that or a mission refuel caterum, something, you know, something in the, in the, in the team, uh, team colors. Anyways, uh, details of the, the case were revealed in uh, 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 documents uh, last week by Dame Victoria Sharp, which is uh, the president of the Queen's Bench Division of the Royal Courts of Justice. And uh, boy, is that a mouthful. Anyways, uh, she had to uh, write, uh, quote, the first count alleges that contrary to Section 7 of the Bribery Act 2010, between 1 July 2011 and 1 June 2015, Airbus SE failed to prevent persons associated with Airbus SE from bribing others concerned with the purchase of aircraft by AirAsia and AirAsia X Airlines from Airbus. Namely, directors and or employees of AirAsia Airlines were said bribery was intended to obtain or retain business or advantage in the conduct of business for Airbus SE. Anyways, uh, she went on to uh, mention Caterham specifically, quote, the improper payment consistent of $50 million and Airbus employees also offered but did not pay an additional $55 million paid to its directors and or employees of AirAsia and AirAsia X Airlines as sponsorship for a sports team. The sports team was jointly owned by AirAsia Executive 1 and AirAsia Executive 2, but was largely unrelated to AirAsia and AirAsia X. Anyways, that's a bit of a mouthful. Anyways, uh, in a statement uh, last Monday, AirAsia said they vigorously reject and deny any and all allegations of wrongdoing. So interesting, kind of makes you wonder what goes on behind the scenes uh, sometime, but uh, kind of a funny story to pop up uh, in the F1 news feed this week. 
Anyways, then now it's time to wrap it up. It's been a, a bit of a long day here for me, and it's starting to get a little bit late. It's almost 11.30 p.m. here on Thursday night, so time to sit down and, and get this one processed and out so you guys can enjoy it. Anyway, so thanks very much for, for listening. If you want to get in touch with me, easiest way is on Twitter at f one pod or via email at scooteriaf1. Oh, sorry, that's the wrong one. <laughs> email, I should know this by now. I've been only doing this a couple of years. Email is scuderiaf1pod at gmail.com. If you have any questions or comments or feedback or you just want to say hi, just drop me a line. Love uh, connecting with other Formula One fans all around the world. And that's it. That's a wrap. Well, like I say, we're getting very close to winter testing. Uh, next week, we should have some car launches uh, to talk about. So really looking forward to that. Anyways, until then, have a great weekend. And we'll talk to you again very soon. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to the Scuderia F1 podcast. If you want to get the show notes for this episode, then head over to ScuderiaF1Pod.com. Want to get in touch with us? Then email us at ScuderiaF1Pod at gmail.com.